Our topic, Christ versus Molech, the Democrats' vision for America contrasted with the biblical vision. Christ versus Molech. It's good to do political sermons here and again. The Puritans did it. The American people did it during the Revolution. We need to do it today, especially in our day when things are getting so bad. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 5, 7, and then 6, 5. You shall have no other gods besides me, before me. And then 6, beginning at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. We'll stop there. In the battle for the future of America, the the foundational issue is whether men will place their faith, loyalty, and obedience to the true God, Yahweh, through the Lord Jesus Christ, or whether they will worship the state as God. That's really the issue. Those are the two main alternatives. Are you going to worship the state, or are you going to worship God through Jesus Christ? And of course we worship Christ as well, because he is God. Because one source of salvation and law is, is one's God, or ultimate authority, this topic is essential for understanding the nature of true religion and the essence of idolatry. And it answers some very important questions regarding why the Democratic Party in the United States thinks and acts as it does, and why only biblical Christianity can really intellectually and spiritually refute and defeat such idolatrous, insane thinking. We're told that men can be women, women can be men. We're told that men can menstruate, that men can get pregnant. There was actually an ad, a a lady advertising tampons, and said, oh yeah, men need them too. Or I should say transgendered need them too. Uh, People have gone mad. Before our analysis, there are some biblical passages that we need to read and think about that will form a biblical basis of our analysis. Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And then the one I just read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And then Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 5, <clears throat> which the Jews call the Shema, which means here in Hebrew. And they recited it twice each day. They recited it when they went to bed. They recited it before they went to bed. And it's basically the positive form of the first commandment. Jesus called it the first and great commandment. It is the first and greatest commandment because all the other commandments are founded upon it and logically throw from it. God created everything and he saves his people from the guilt and slavery of sin. Therefore, absolute love and loyalty is required and deserved. Without the true God, who is only properly defined by sacred scripture, there are no real reasons for the proper, just, ethical treatment of others. And we're going to see that explicitly today. One can offer pragmatic or utilitarian reasons, but in the chance universe of and atoms randomly floating in the void, which is what everybody's taught in school today, there can be no absolutes or fixed reference points for true meaning or ethics. Ethics, in such a view, are purely positivistic, 
That means they're simply made up by men. They're arbitrary. That is, there is nothing above man by which to prove or verify if one's views are true. Consequently, ethics on a civil level in modern societies are in the final analysis determined by political power and coercion. In the United States, the ultimate authority is the Supreme Court. And whoever controls the court controls the law. And they declare, they can declare homosexual marriage is totally good and normal. They can declare abortion is okay. And it's all arbitrary. It's just what the majority of the court thinks. And in fact, uh, somebody asked one of the Supreme Court justices back in the 1930s, what is, this, what is this absolute source of law? And he said, the majority of the Supreme Court. He admitted it. There's nothing above the Supreme Court. And that's why the Democrats are so obsessed with controlling the court. Because they don't care about the Second Amendment. They don't care about our rights. They don't care about any of that. They, comp they want absolute control, and they'll do whatever it takes. <clears throat> Those who control the majority of the Supreme Court get the final say on ethical matters. Is killing an unborn human being lawful or unlawful? Is homosexuality, cross-dressing, and genital mutilation moral or immoral? Relativistic uh, ethics are relativistic and always changing or evolving as human opinions change. That's secular humanism. And that's what is taught in all the public schools today, in all the universities and colleges, except ones that are explicitly Christian or very conservative politically, like Hillsdale College. Now, the first commandment, that's why we're starting with the first commandment, because it's the basis. Who is your God? That's going to determine how you think. That's going to determine your metaphysics, your epistemology, your theory of knowledge, etc. The first commandment is exhaustive and far-reaching in its significance for mankind. <clears throat> it requires a worldview, lifestyle, and philosophy of life dominated by a loving, loyal, respectful, committed relationship to the one and only true God who exists. Now, unbelievers are not in a special covenant relationship with Yahweh through the saving blood of Christ. But, as God's creatures, they are still obligated to keep the first commandment. We have an additional reason we're saved. But they still have to obey the Ten Commandments. They are creatures made by God. They're under God's authority. They did not create themselves. Anything in their life that is placed above God is idolatry. Anything. Now, men today in Western nations, generally speaking, are not bowing down and worshiping little statues. But they, some Roman Catholics still are. More conservative, old-style Catholics still bow to the Virgin Mary and so forth. And, of course, Hindus still do. I know a lot of Hindus, and they have idols in there. Well, actually, they usually have posters and pictures. You don't see a lot of statues. Although, when I was a hippie and I went to the Hare Krishna place in Berkeley, California, they had a giant statue of Krishna, and they worshipped it, and they gave it offerings and so forth. <clears throat> but they are worshipping man himself. That's secular humanism. Their only hope is to turn to God through Christ. <coughs> God commands all men everywhere to repent. This is Paul, Acts 17, 30 and 31. Because he has appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man, that's Jesus Christ, whom he has ordained. And he has given assurance of all this uh, to all by raising him from the dead. Okay, so the gospel is not, oh, please come to Jesus. It's not an invitation. 
It's a command. This is my son. Kiss the son. Bow the knee. Acknowledge Christ. Now, there are a number of passages that show us how one's view of God, God's or ultimate authorities, affects one's ethics and culture. We'll go through these. Deuteronomy 12, 29-32. <clears throat> when the Lord your God cuts you off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess, and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed to yourself that you're not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you. And that you do not inquire after their God, saying, How do these nations serve their gods? I also will do likewise. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abomination to the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods. For they even burn their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. <coughs> Sola Scriptura. Our ethics come from God. Truth comes from God. Here's another one. And we'll make some comments in a minute. Deuteronomy 18, 9-14. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's Molech worship. They'd make a bonfire and they would toss their babies into the fire. Or one who practices witchcraft. Or, uh, or a soothsayer. Or one who interprets omens. Or a sorcerer. Or one who conjures spells. Or a medium. Or a spiritist. Or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord. And because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God. For these nations which you dispossess, listen to soothsayers... And diviners, but as for you, the Lord your God has appoint, not appointed such for you. And then Leviticus 18.21, You shall not let any of your descendants pass through the fire to Molech, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord your, Lord your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. Leviticus 19.31, Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Although these passages are all speaking directly to the situation of pagan religious cultures in the ancient world, we will see that the warnings given to Israel are still very relevant. They're not hard to apply to modern society. We're going to see that. These warnings cover a, no a number of areas that are still common in modern culture. First, all the pagan methods of seeking wisdom, knowledge, truth, and control over reality, apart from divine revelation, are condemned. <coughs> now, soothsayer was a practitioner of the magical arts and astrology. People would go to soothsayers in order to determine what their futures would be. Now, astrology probably isn't as popular as it was in the 60s and 70s, but it's still popular. There were many forms of divination, and sorcery, but what they all had in common was seeking truth and guidance through humanistic or magical means. The purpose of a shaman in, ancient, in, in pagan cultures, the purpose of the sorcerer, to gain control over reality and to control the future. A medium or a wizard would seek to contact the dead or spirits who possessed hidden knowledge. 
A necromancer, or one who speaks with the dead, also is seeking hidden or secret knowledge. Witches and sorcerers would cast spells to control people and make potions out of drugs and toxins to control others for money. And often even killing people. Poisons. And the word for sorcerer, pharma, pharmacai, where we get the word pharmacy, uh, refers to this use of drugs. All of these practices are an abomination in God's sight, for they are humanistic ways to determine and control reality for the sake of gaining power and control over others. <coughs> now, although the old forms of paganism are not near as common in Western societies as the ancient world, where they, they permeated everything, it was related to the civil magistrate, there were official priests of the civil magistrate. It was connected to all aspects of society. That's not true anymore. Now, witchcraft is the fastest growing religion in Northern Europe and in England. Um, so that is a problem, but that's another matter. The things that have replaced them in modern secular societies are still methods of determining truth and seeking prosperity, power, and control over others. Their pagan religion is called secular humanism, or atheistic naturalism. Okay, secular humanism or atheistic naturalism. <clears throat> Today we are told that Christianity is unscientific and superstitious. Science will solve all of our problems. Instead of biblical counseling, where Christian ethics are applied to families, marriages, and individuals, and problems are solved by replacing bad thinking and bad behaviors with, and problems with are solved by placing uh, with good biblical counterparts. We have modern scientific, the modern scientific priesthood of psychiatrists and psychologists. And what do they do? <clears throat> well, they dispense drugs to people to make them perhaps temporarily feel better. If you take drugs, you may feel better temporarily. But there's no necessary ethical changes. The root of the problem is never dealt with. When counseling does, does occur, it is usually based on blame-shifting and antinomian principles. Okay, the whole basis of Scientology, the whole basis of modern psychiatry and psychology is essentially to blame-shift and not feel guilty about your bad behavior. Your parents made you. You're bad because your parents were bad. You're bad because society says you're bad. Uh, society treated you wrong, and so on and so forth. Theoretical science, such as macroevolution, which is in reality no more scientific than the myths of the Greeks, Romans, and Persians, holds that inanimate matter organized itself into stars and planets and then exceptionally complex life developed out of non-life. In other words, dirt plus water plus time, a lot of time, trillions of years, equals all complex life. Yet the greatest scientists cannot even make one single-celled organism. Yet it happens by chance. That's a faith commitment, and it's a faith commitment that's not scientific. But the whole point of macroevolutionary theory really is to push God out of the Bible, the God of the Bible out of the picture, and replace God with man. We must remember that originally. 
the whole purpose of empirical science was that one could discover new things by observation and repeatable experiments. Baconian science, it all comes from the Christian world and life view. We live in a universe, not a multiverse. The universe is organized and has specific laws that were set in place by God. It's not this chance flux where there is no reference point. For example, if a group of men do not eat any fruit, like citrus, over an extended period of time, they all get scurvy. And that was well known because of the traveling on the ships and people would die of scurvy because they didn't have any vitamin C. And then what happened was is the, the captain and his close associates didn't get scurvy because somebody had given them a gift of uh, fruit uh, that had been canned, their version of canning. And so as the tr trip's going on, they're eating this fruit, which is packed with vitamin C, and all the other guys get scurvy. Well, anyway, they discover that. But another group of men that eat limes or lemons, they never develop scurvy. By logical inference, deduction, logical deduction, one could conclude that group A must be suffering from some kind of nutritional defici deficiency. If there are doubts, then the experiment can be repeated several times with even more subjects. If the outcome is always the same, one's original conclusion has been verified. Okay, that's science properly so-called. But with macroevolution, one has a theory that is based on a presupposition that the infinite personal God of the Bible does not exist and that the universe was not created by God. That's the presupposition. That's the starting point. Now, if one has to fantasize and come up with a story of how everything got here without God that sounds scientific, that is in a purely imminent, materialistic manner, then macroevolutionary theory is really the only option. You know, some say aliens did it. Well, where do the aliens come from? One, can't, uh, one cannot observe what happened in the beginning, and one cannot conduct experiments that produce life in any form. So what do modern science, secular scientists do? They impose their presuppositions on the facts, even though the facts clearly disprove their theory. For example, note the following. A. In the fossil record, complex organisms appear fully formed without evolutionary precursors. In other words, it contradicts evolution. The missing links? There are no missing links. I read a big... I, I studied at a secular university under one of the great, uh, most noted evolutionists in the country, in the world. And I read these big, thick books on evolution. And their arguments are a joke. Well, here's a bird that might have some scales on it. It might be between a lizard and a bird. Well, that might be true if you presuppose evolution, but it might just be God created a weird-looking bird. <laughs> there are no precursors. Things appear in the fossil record out of nowhere with no precursors. They, they do. That's a fact. B. Single-celled organisms are a thousand times more complex than 19th century scientists originally thought. The idea of inanimate matter producing living organic cells is about as likely as a tornado in a junkyard producing a nuclear submarine, which has the ability to organically heal itself if damaged and seek out its own fuel supply. The more science learns, the more science refutes macroevolutionary theory. But because of their presuppositions, they can't admit that. Now, I've got a, I've got a big, thick book up there 
uh, where it's all these secular scientists who reject evolution. Now, they don't believe in God, but they just say that science does not support evolutionary theory. They basically conclude that evolution is impossible. It's uh, One of them said that the idea of a single cell originating from inanimate matter is, makes about as much sense as if you give a, a bunch of paper and a typewriter to, to a, a group of monkeys, they'll, they'll give you the Encyclopedia Britannica. That's how complex a cell is. And there's, if, you, if you go on YouTube, I, I, I don't know if it's still there, there's a video. Somebody made a, vi a very detailed video of what the inside of the operation of just a single cell looks like. And it's like a giant factory with all these moving parts doing all these things. It's just mind-boggling how complex life is. But in the 19th century, they didn't think it was complex. They thought single, single cells were super simple. And then C. Recorded history is not one of the formulation of new life forms by evolution, which is what would be predictable, but of progressive extinctions due to external factors. The longer life has existed on the Earth after the fall, the less species there have been. Not more, less. Not more, less. Because there is no evolution going on right now. The Tasmanian uh, tiger. Now, reportedly, somebody has seen one, but it's thought to be extinct. There's tons of, the dodo bird, there's all these extinct creatures that were just here 150 years ago. And this supports a biblical worldview, not macroevolution. And believe me, I watch Carl Sagan. I watch these guys. I've seen their videos. It's a joke. It's only convincing if you already believe it. It's not convincing at all if you're objective at all. If man is the pivotal of the evolutionary process in a purely materialistic chance universe, then men, not God, can determine and define for themselves autonomously meaning and ethics. Because there is nothing above man. Man has to do it himself. The Secular Humanistic Manifesto. We're not saved by God. We have to save ourselves. And if you're an atheist, you have to say that. Of course, why would you even care if there's salvation anyway? Because life has no meaning anyway. But they, they're inconsistent. Like all the ancient pagans, they eliminate transcendence and absolutes above man for a finite universe which evolves out of the pre-existing matter. Okay, the Greeks thought of a scale of being. They didn't think of created reality and uncreated reality. That's Christianity. That's biblical, the biblical worldview. Chance and, a lack of peg, uh, chance and a lack of any fixed reference point for meaning is a hallmark of ancient paganism and modern science. You have to understand the gods of the old pagans, whether Sumerians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans, they're all very similar, the Nordic gods. Uh, the gods are all finite, and they all do a lot of evil, sinful things. They're just, they're more like superheroes. They're not like the God of the Bible at all. Eastern religions, which hold a monism, that is everythingism, God is everything, are much closer to modern secular thought than biblical Christianity, which teaches that there is an infinite personal triune God who created all things and thus is separate and above the creation. So there are two types of being. Uncreated being, Yahweh, who is infinite and eternal, and created being, which is finite, 
had a beginning in time and only exists due to the sustaining power of God. The doctrine of creation is critical to understanding reality. And that's why modern science is such a farce. When you study nature and you pose evolutionary theory on everything, you get a bunch of crap. By denying the creator-creature distinction, man argues that A, and this is a priori, this is before the facts, it's not scientific at all, the true religion is false, stupid or a myth. B, if there is to be knowledge, it can only come from man thinking and reasoning autonomously. C, if there is to be salvation, peace, prosperity, and utopia, it can only come from man. Once again, autonomously. Atheists love macroevolutionary theory because it presents itself as scientific proof that God does not exist and Christianity is false. Hitler loved it and saw it as the basis of his thinking. Marx loved it immediately and saw it as the foundation of Marxism. Because what it does is it replaces God with man. It's exactly what it does. And it became very popular in an age of apostasy when people were rejecting the faith. And you, you, you got to replace something. You can't replace something with nothing. You got to replace it with something else. And this is the worldview that replaced Bible-believing Christianity in the United States and all the universities and schools and even the public school systems. <clears throat> Therefore, men must save themselves. And if this involves coercion, then so be it. The biblical position is one of humility that produces liberty because all men are subject to the transcendent laws of their creator. The civil government does not create laws. It only recognizes laws that have been given to us by God and applies them to our own situation in life. You don't understand how much that limits the government. The government says, well, we believe that homosexuality is wonderful. Well, that contradicts the Bible. You can't do that. Oh, okay. We believe homosexual marriage is wonderful. That contradicts the Bible. You can't do that. Transgenderism contradicts the Bible. You can't do that. We believe that if you want to murder your own unborn baby, go ahead. No, you can't do that. That's called murder, and the Bible condemns that explicitly. There is a law above man that limits man. The, the, the final law is not the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is supposed to follow God's law. But unfortunately, they don't. Now let's look at Molech statism. That was foundational to what I'm going to say now. The great similarities between ancient paganism and modern secular humanism continue with the ancient cult of Molech worship. The word Molech is likely a deliberate misvocalization of the title king, Melech, or Hamelech, where the vowels of the word shame are inserted in the word king. So it's a deliberate mocking of the religion by the Jewish writers of the Old Testament. The Ammonites, 1 Kings 11, 7, and 33, and many others, such as the Phoenicians and the people of Carthage, worshipped this god. And the people of Carthage were probably Phoenicians in origin. Also found on the alternate forms of, if you have your King James Bible, Milcom, Mulek, and Malek. The Canaanites offered child sacrifice at Tyre, that's on the coast, to Baal, Malkart. Solomon, 
I know this is shocking, but it's true. Solomon, in order to please a pagan wife or wives, built a shrine for Molech in Jerusalem, right in the outskirts of Jerusalem, 1 Kings 11.7. Under the reforms and revival of the godly king Josiah, the furnace used for child sacrifice called Tophet was defiled or destroyed. Now, according to ancient rabbinical writings, this was a giant bronze statue of a man with the head of a bull that was hollow on the inside, and they would make a giant bonfire of this thing and get it red hot, and then they would throw babies inside of it. And as the babies went inside, they played drums really loud to, to drown out the screams of the children. Now, does that sound satanic to you? Yeah, it does. It does. Shocking. The worship of Moloch was a problem for the Jews all the way up into Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah 7.31 and 19.5, and probably only completely stopped where the, when the Babylonian captivity begins. <clears throat> now, interestingly, in the days of Jesus, Tophet, in the, in the Valley of the Sons of Hinnom, which is the site of the original Molech worship in Jerusalem, became Gehenna. That's its new name, Gehenna, which is a flaming garbage dump for Jerusalem. For Christ, it symbolized hell itself, where men are cast into fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You'll get up in your concordance. Christ says it about eight different times. <clears throat> this religion is especially despicable in that it involved sacrificing one's own children by tossing them into a raging fire. The expression passed through the fire to Molech, Leviticus 18.21, 2 Kings 23.10, Jeremiah 32.35, normally is so interpreted for three reasons. It is assumed that the same rite is mentioned in 2 Kings 16, 3, 21, 6, 23, 6, Isaiah 30, 33, Jeremiah 7, 31, and 19, 5, Deuteronomy 12, 31. Two, this rite is abundantly verified among the Canaanites in both literary texts and artifactual evidence. And as I speak, they keep finding new evidence. They just found, they found a, uh, I forget, what's, what's the island that Carthage was on? Was it, Crete? I forget. But anyway, they found a graveyard, in an ancient graveyard, in the old Carthaginian Empire. <clears throat> and there's a, a whole separate section of the graveyard just for babies and infants. And it says these were the ones who died for Molech. And they, they, were, they had a special honor. They gave their lives for our god Molech. That was just discovered recently. Whereas, uh, number three, whereas 2 Kings 23.10 informs us that Josiah defiled Tophet, which means incinerator, in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, that no one might make a son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech, Jeremiah 7.31 says, they have built the high place of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters. The Hebrew word means that literally, to burn. They were incinerating their children, alive, killing them alive to their God. And this became popular. The verbal connections between these two passages are so close that to burn seems to be equivalent to pass through the fire. <clears throat> the association of kings with gods was common in the Middle East and could be found throughout the ancient world. Kings were often either considered a god on earth, or a representative of the gods, or a channel. 
who is in communication with the god or gods. Okay, Pharaoh was a god, or connected to the gods. Among the ancient Babylonians, their mythology attributed a quasi-divine status to the king, who had been nursed in infancy by the goddess, by a goddess. Among the Romans, the emperor was at first given homage as one in, in special relationship with the gods. <coughs> then over time, the emperor took upon himself divine status and demanded an offering of worship. Remember Caligula? And the coins in Jesus' day? You know the phrase, Jesus is Lord over lords and king over kings? That was in deliberate mockery of the emperor. It said that on the Roman coins, that the emperor, the Caesar, was God over gods and king over kings. And this, of course, brought Christians into direct conflict with Rome, the Roman state. This ancient paganism, which is made explicit by Molech worship, tells us that, the ancient, that among the ancient heathens, the state was the source of law and the absolute authority on earth. Laws could be created out of thin air by the king, and questioning such laws was viewed as treason and merit of the death penalty. So laws could, were created out of thin air by the king. Pagan governments were uniformly statist and totalitarian because their religious worldview placed total power, not above the king, but in the king. Molech worship was the state worship. The state was the true and ultimate order, and religion was a department of the state. That's true of all, that's true of the Aztecs, the Incas, the Mayas, the Celts, the Babylonians, the Sumerians. That's true of all of them. The state claimed total jurisdiction over man, and it was therefore entitled to total sacrifice by man, for man. <clears throat> now, Biblical Christianity was radically different than the old pagan religions in that Yahweh was above all men, both church and state. The covenantal spheres of church, the covenantal sphere of the family, the covenantal sphere of the state, God is above everyone. Consequently, the state's authority was limited by God's moral law, and thus the nation's law had to reflect not the will of the king, but the preceptive will of God. That's why, you know, if you're in Russia, and the, the state says, oh, you, we want to go kill people, innocent people in another country, like Ukraine, uh, you have to say, I can't do that, because that violates, thou shalt not kill. That's an unjust war, I'm not allowed to do that. <clears throat> this worldview and law order is the only foundation of true liberty or freedom, for the church and the people can appeal to an authority above the king. If the civil magistrate goes beyond his God-given responsibilities... And this is the big battle with the Presbyterians in Scotland versus, uh, you know, Charles I, Charles II, and of course James, who are acting as God, saying, "We're going. I'm going to impose this liturgy on you. I'm going to impose my view of church government on the church, even though it's not taught in the Bible. I'm going to. You got to do it because I'm the king." And they said, "No, no, no. We have to obey Christ, not you." And that caused them to get killed. Now it's true, corrupt and apostate professing kings. Kings did not like this limitation, and thus learned, uh, leaned on the false and arbitrary philosophy called, you've all heard this if you went to college, the divine right of kings. 
This teaching claimed that since the king was in power due to God's providence, the king had total jurisdiction over his kingdom. In other words, he was not limited by the preceptive will of God. A professing Christian could be a wicked tyrant, but to do so, he had to act on principles completely inconsistent with Scripture and biblical Christianity. See, this is the difference between secular humanism and Christian, biblical Christianity. Christians do things that contradict the Bible that are bad. Roman Catholic Church, for example, killing innocent people in the Middle Ages. Uh, but that's inconsistent with our Christian worldview. That's inconsistent with Christian ethics. When secular humanists do bad things, like murder millions of people in the gulag, that is consistent with their worldview. Now, modern atheists may disagree, but their disagreement is purely arbitrary because they have no basis on which to argue epistemologically. Earthly kings are under the direct authority of the resurrected, glorified Messiah. The king over kings and lord over lords, Revelation 19.16, Psalm 2.6-12, 110, 1-2, and 5-7, etc. Consequently, they are morally obligated to bow the knee to Christ and implement his moral laws. Once again, they are not law creators, they are law recognizers. They get to apply the law to situate, you know, like in the Bible they didn't have uh, semi-trucks driving down the road at 70 miles an hour. Uh, we have to make traffic laws based on the principles of Scripture. They, there's things we have to apply. But we don't get to make up laws out of thin air and say something's ethical uh, that was not, that is obviously unethical, like homosexuality or unlawful divorce or adultery or whatever. They are to learn God's moral law and then apply it faithfully, completely, and consistently to the nation's civil laws. They must adopt a position of Christian humility, for Christ's rule determines the nature of their rule. The northern European nations, the Protestant countries that most consistently apply these biblical principles, achieve the greatest freedom politically, the greatest political liberties, as well as the greatest prosperity. That's absolutely true. It's a fact. The Roman Catholic countries did not do near as good because it was a very corrupt form of Christianity. <clears throat> now, there is a reason that we have considered ancient Molech worship or statism. The reason is because modern secular humanism or atheistic naturalism has revived this pagan concept of civil government. All the stuff that's going on now, it's not new, it's very ancient. Modern Western states have self-consciously and explicitly rejected Yahweh, the true and living God, Jesus the Messiah, his only begotten Son, and special revelation, and now claim to be the only source of law, the only source of meaning and justice. You know, why do you think they, you know, Christians, they don't want to make a cake for a sodomite marriage, which is perversion. They don't want to develop websites for sodomite marriage, which is a perversion or transgendered, or whatever. And that's the, the leftists, the Democrats, think that's absolutely evil. How dare you? Denying them their rights. You see, there's a conflict between ethical systems and worldviews. With their false, uh, easily disproved theory of macroevolutionary, uh, macroevolution, they reject Christian theism in fav favor of atheistic naturalism. They argue that since there's nothing above man, man has to be the only source of law. The civil government and the courts have total jurisdiction over man and total freedom to autonomously determine society's laws. 
Ethics and justice are not something objective and above man to which all men can appeal when differences of opinion occur. They are what those in power who control the Supreme Court say they are. And that is why it's critical that we do not allow the Democrats to control the Supreme Court. The Second Amendment will be gone. Religious rights, freedoms will be gone. They are satanic status. They will oppress and persecute Christians. We know that. I mean, Obama, way back, way back, Obama tried to force Roman Catholic nuns to provide abortion services and so forth. Because they look at a, a religion as a compartment of the state. It's below the state. <clears throat> the laws are with those in power who control the Supreme Court say they are. Although it is true that Bible-believing Christianity still has some influence in the Republican Party, and we see some states banning abortion and the sexual mutilation of children, the transgender perversion, the Democratic Party is openly anti-Christian, despises Christian ethics, and hates the biblical family. They are thoroughly followers of the Molech state religion. <coughs> this understanding of the Molech state is crucial for in theory, modern secular states do not accept any limitations or boundaries on what the state can do. <clears throat> the modern anti-Christian state claims total jurisdiction from cradle to grave, from womb to tomb, over welfare, over education, over the family, over business, over farming, over capital, over labor, over all things else. During the pandemic, they forced businesses to close. You didn't have any choice. You'd go to jail. You'd be fined a bunch of money. They forced landlords to not charge any rent for three years in Oakland, California, parts of California. And people are losing their homes. Statism. They're totally out of control. If man... Not God is the measure of all things and essentially creates his own laws out of nowhere, that is purely out of his own autonomous thinking, then those who hold the reins of power can do whatever they want. Many Americans look at the full legalization of homosexuality and sodomite marriage as well as the transgender perversion as madness. People think, how in the world can anyone think that such things are normal or moral? But these things are radically immoral, disgusting, perverted, and an abomination in God's sight. <clears throat> but what conservatives in America need to understand is that atheists and leftists accept these things not because of real scientific evidence or studies. It's not scientific at all. They are declared to be good, moral, lawful, and acceptable based on fiat positivistic declarations. They're moral because we say they're moral. And if you object, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're a bigot. You need to suppress. We need to put you in jail. That's what's going on. Now, fortunately, I guess to a degree, the transgender thing, which is so insane now, it's so absolutely crazy, that people are people with some common sense are saying, hey, this is this is crazy. You know, men don't have periods. Men don't have babies. Uh, you know, uh, men aren't really women, and women aren't really men. It's insanity. <clears throat> you 
If elites, the civil government officials, judges, and the cultural leaders declare these things to be good, lawful, acceptable, and moral, this is now the position that must be taught, believed, and advocated, and fully accepted, or we, those secular humanists in power, will seek to destroy you. And we see how the justice system in America works now. Liberals are treated one way, with kid gloves, when they... I mean, can you imagine if Trump did what Biden and his kids and his brothers doing with all this getting money from communists and stuff, all people all over the world? It's, it's ignored. There is no justice today in America. Secular humanism is coming home to roost. For many decades, psychiatrists and psychologists taught and wrote that homosexuality and transvestitism was a sickness. It was, uh, there were sicknesses, abnormalities, psychological disorders that needed to be treated with drugs and therapy. This was the view right until the 19, late 1970s. Because these men were essentially pagan, they were uh, basically a secular version of a priesthood, they described evil behavior, sins, and filthy perversions with medical terms that have no basis in ethics. That's why they talk about Somebody who's a drunkard, oh, he's an alcoholic, he has a disease. Homosexuality is, uh, it's, it's a psychological problem. Fecophilia. Or um, the transvestite or the transgender uh, is somebody who's got a psychological problem. We need to give him some drugs and some therapy. That's the way they used to think. Well, they don't think that way anymore. Everything is spoken of in terms of sicknesses or disorders. In the 1970s, however, everything changed and all these behaviors that were considered abnormal sicknesses were now declared to be perfectly normal. You know, the, the psychiatrist and the psychologist, they have a big giant thing they put out, this big, huge, thick thing that defines all the sicknesses and diseases. Well, that changed. I think it was 78. I have a footnote on it in my book on the Supreme Court. <clears throat> Everything changed, and they were considered perfectly normal. Was this abrupt and radical change a result of repeatable scientific studies or new groundbreaking discoveries? And the answer is absolutely not. Not at all. The intellectual elites decided that such behaviors were now perfectly acceptable. The antinomianism and sexual revolution of the 1960s counterculture had become adopted in colleges and universities, and it was simply uncool or out of touch with whether the culture was shifting to teach that such things were abnormal. Now, why do I bring that up? To show you that it has nothing to do with real science. It's totally arbitrary. Consequently, by pure arbitrary subjective opinion, that is, autonomous imaginations or creativity, these perverted sinful behaviors are declared to be good, normal, healthy, and wonderful. In fact, one should be proud of these behaviors. <coughs> one should praise them as good. One should have parades, pride parades, celebrating these things. There's a whole pride month. And all these corporations got on board with their, you know, the flag, the rainbow flag and all this stuff. And if a person does not fully accept them as good, moral, healthy, and lawful, he must be condemned as a hateful bigot. He is the one who is now abnormal and must be suppressed. 
Now, there are two things that we need to learn from this process of a shift in law orders in America. This is what's happening. Modernism took over. Unbelief took over. Secular humanism took over. And it took a couple of generations for it to really get applied to the culture. It really got going with the counterculture in the 1960s, where they simply said, why are we doing it this way? You guys don't believe this anyway. Why don't we do what we want to do? First, the changes that have occurred in civil laws, especially relating to sexuality and what defines a family, really have nothing to do with science properly defined or the laws of nature, but are the arbitrary opinions of sinful men. They are now considered good because the intellectual elites, the cultural innovators, the progressives or leftist politicians say so. When it comes to ethics, culture, and civil laws, the so-called scientists are not discoverers or leaders, but followers. They can get on board the secular humanist train of perversion, antinomianism, and cultural degradation toward a consistent Satanism, or they will lose their jobs. That's the truth. If you don't believe in this transgendered stuff, and if you don't believe in statism, and you don't believe in all this crazy stuff, and you're a college professor, or you work in a big corporation, you better keep your mouth shut, or you will be fired. Unless, of course, you have a, you're working for a conservative organization. Now, the rise of the hippie or counterculture movement of the 1960s is, in a sense, simply the secular humanistic worldview becoming more epistemologically self-aware and consistent with itself. And that's why people, that's a, a real division in culture and society, uh, is, the, is the 60s. And that's basically secular humanism coming home to its own. <clears throat> the secular humanists in the 1940s and 50s were still living largely in accord with the Christian worldview, where respect for parents and lawful authority was assumed. And the goal in one's life was largely having a heterosexual nuclear family and finding one's calling in some kind of labor. Work. The hippies understood that there were no real ethical or epistemological reasons for such a lifestyle. And thus rejected authority. Their parents, they rejected their parents, they rejected the college authorities, they rejected the corporations, and they rejected the civil government. And we all saw this in the late 60s and the 70s. Especially the early 70s in favor of drug mysticism and the pursuit of pleasures and self-fulfillment. It was a rejection of the past without a well-thought-out plan of replacement. The motto, and this comes from Timothy Leary, which was the motto of the hippie movement, turn on, that is embrace drugs as a mystical source of shamanistic salvation. And if you don't believe me, you can go back, it's on YouTube, there's very early interviews with the Grateful Dead and rock people in the late 60s, 67, 66, 68. And they say that drugs will bring a, a complete revolution. Drugs will bring, essentially, salvation to society. We have to all take drugs. They were teaching this. They really believed this. So turn on. Tune in. That is, adopt the counterculture philosophy of hedonism over work and dominion. Drop out. Reject Western civilization and the idea of a job and a family. And of course, left in the wake of this philosophy was a lot of venereal disease, illegitimate births, exceptionally high divorce rates, severe drug problems that continued and have no, there's no real meaning. And George Harrison, 
there's a good thing on YouTube with George Harrison. He goes to uh, Hate Ashbury to see what's all the hubbub about. I want to see the new enlightenment. I want to see this wonderful thing going on. And what does he see? A bunch of filthy drug addicts. He says it was horrible. It totally, he totally was just shocked at how horrible and disgusting it was. Drug addicts, theft, crime. Because you have to have a job. This idea you can live for free. Life is free. We can leech off of others. We can take drugs. We can have sex, you know, love the one you're with. Have sex with anybody you want. And what do you get? You get a bunch of people with gonorrhea and cephalus and later AIDS. And you, you get drug addicts. It, it was a, a nightmare. The hippie vision was a nightmare. The hippies eventually returned to civilization, but they kept their hedonism and now embraced the techni technocratic domination of all others. As Gary Northus said, the cybernetic monster ate the psychedelic baby. Those hippies, that philosophy, those people now control the reins of power in our civil government, our universities, elementary schools, corporations. You're thinking, why in the world would they advocate, why would Disney basically destroy themselves and advocate all this sexual perversion in their movies? Because they believe in that. That's their philosophy. They believe in salvation through mysticism and chaos. The immoral, immoral hedonists have shifted from running away from culture and society to radically controlling it through the totalitarian domination of all citizens of the whole world. <clears throat> the psychedelic shamans have become the de dehumanizing, hate-filled Marxists. Spontaneity, creativity, and concepts of total freedom have given way to political coercion overall. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm just... I want you to understand here, we're going to take a break, because I, I have too much material really for one sermon. Um, I want you to see the importance of an overall Christian world and life view uh, for everything, culture, society, civil government, and how modern society, which purports to be very scientific and very objective, is actually a revival of ancient paganism, just using new terminology. Now, before we go, I want to m mention one thing. And this, people make a mistake between uh, progress and technologies, and uh, progress and uh, society, and. You, you don't want to confuse, confuse theoretical science with technology, because it's different. Technology can progress over time, even among the most ranked pagans, because technology is based on uh, basically functioning in the universe that God has created. Making a better airplane, a better car, a better computer. Unbelievers can have functional knowledge. An unbeliever can be a master guitar player. He can be the best rock climber. He can be the best ray car driver or engineer and design beautiful bridges. But when we get to theoretical matters of philosophy and ethics, it's completely different. So don't confuse the progress of technology with ethical progress. They're completely different. Our, our country has not got ethically better with better cars and better technology. It's gotten worse. 
it's not better. So don't confuse technology or what comes from functional knowledge with fault science as it's used today to justify everything. I mean, you know what happened with the pandemic. The government lied, totally lied. They totally got it wrong. And all the scientists backed them up and they all basically said, hey, we're the science. We're following science. You're not. Well, science was wrong. Because you've got to make a distinction between those things which are clearly provable through repeated observation, repeated experiments, and those things which are theoretical. And this may be true. We think it might be true. But they've become like a high priesthood where they dogmatically declare truth. And we've seen that they're a bunch of liars. And they're in the back pocket of the government, the left wing uh, the progressives. So keep that in mind. We'll come back. Uh, i got the best stuff's yet to come. So please come back. Uh, let us pray. Father, we thank you so much. Uh, for your uh, your truth, your word. You have given us, you have created all things. You have given us a transcendent law that we must follow and that we bow the knee to Christ, your son, and we subject ourselves to his law order and protect us, Lord, from the, the rise of these antichrists, these beasts who want to rule all men through a total coercion. In Jesus' name, 